Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And rescueswimmershop.com, official high quality apparel featuring the silhouette. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. 15 years ago, photographer and Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 526, Chris Razor, created an iconic photograph. This photograph depicted the silhouette of a helicopter rescue swimmer reaching down for an outstretched hand in need against the American flag backdrop. The image went viral and became a symbol worldwide for the rescue community and the people they help. Its wild popularity inspired Chris to launch RescueSwimmerShop.com, a web store offering official high-quality apparel featuring his evocative image, The Silhouette. T-shirts, hats, patches, and stickers featuring The Silhouette are available at RescueSwimmerShop.com, including the flagship design, So Others May Live. Follow Chris and his story on Instagram with the handle at Rescue Swimmer Shop. And if you are a rescue swimmer, support rescue swimmers, or just tell people you are one at the bar, this gear is definitely for you. When you get to the website, rescueswimmershop.com, enter the promo code, all lowercase, one word, rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E, for 10% off your order. an absolute pleasure talking to our next guest. He's our first guest from the California Highway Patrol and he's working up in the Lake Tahoe area but their area of responsibility is ridiculous and he actually gets into it in this episode. 
what they do with their little helicopter is amazing. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. Please welcome California Highway Patrol Officer, Mr. Kevin Vinatieri. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today I've got another treat with me. Uh, he is a pilot from California Highway Patrol, Mr. Kevin Vinatieri. What's up, Mr. Vinatieri? How are you? Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Dude, I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I appreciate this because uh, I'll tell you what, I, I've seen some YouTube videos of you guys and what you guys do in California as far as a highway patrol with an A-star and like, oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. Plus, um, I had... Let's see, Claire Nelson, we had Riverside, Riverside Sheriff's Department, those guys, you know, because you guys all work together with every, all the agencies. It's, it's pretty impressive to watch. So, but yeah, so I'm excited to talk to you as uh, somebody that's in California Highway Patrol to kind of hear some of your stories right from you guys. This is awesome. Nice. 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 Well, let's let's talk. All right. But before I go too far, I, I do have to ask the question. Because do you know I'm a diehard New England fan? Any relation to Adam <laughs> and Terry? Yeah, we are we are first cousins. So what? Yeah. Yes. You know, I, you just I'm tell just him angry. I said thank you, thank you, Super Bowl, booyah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I would. People always go, "Hey, why don't you kick a football?" I go, "I I fly helicopters." You know, and no, my parents didn't encourage me to kick a football, unfortunately. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I love it. Well, all right. So from, from me to you to him, just tell him I said thank you and hello. <laughs> Will do. Yes. Yes. All right. All right. Anyway, for everybody else that doesn't know you out there, please introduce yourself a little bit of background about you and how you became a CHP officer. Yeah. Um, my I cut my teeth in the Army National Guard in California. That's how. Yeah, I, I started uh, back in high school, uh, I enlisted, I uh, was a helicopter mechanic, and then a crew chief, and then I became an observer, and then finally went to flight school, and did that for from 87 to 99, uh, and in the process towards the end of that stint with the military, I started showing interest in law enforcement and uh, gravitated towards the highway patrol and then got hired with them in 1995 and did a couple of years on the, the road and got recruited into air ops. And here I've been for the last 23 years doing what we do best uh, is, uh, you know, we say all roads, all codes. Oh, dang. That's awesome. I like that. Now where, where, can I ask where specifically you are located or is that like, Oh, absolutely. Uh, okay. we're, we're in the, the, so the high patrol has eight divisions in the state. So they broke it up into eight divisions. I'm in Valley division, which is just, uh, encompasses 13 counties, but what people would really know is like the Sacramento area, the Lake Tahoe area, and then North and South, uh, quite a bit. So we're the primary search and rescue helicopter, uh, especially up in Tahoe, 
um, in, in all those 13 counties. So there are other agencies that have helicopters. Uh, we work very well with them. Um, most are in the search and rescue business are more or less part-time. Uh, they're not fully staffed seven days a week, uh, and, but we are. Wow. Nice. Uh, yeah. So being up in Tahoe, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's been a few times we've been flying. You're like, yeah, we're getting paid to do this. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. But I, starting back from my army days, uh, I've been flying in this part of California since 88, basically. So I know it really, really, really well. And uh, a little bit more like the military side, I flew OH-58s, Hueys, um, UH-60 Blackhawks, and then uh, the UH-72 Lakotas. And then came over to the Highway Patrol and flew the BO-105 and then uh, the AS-350 A-Star. And in all of the, those aircraft, uh, they all have amazing you know, qualities, but pound for pound, my absolute favorite helicopter that I've ever flown has been the A-Star. It's just, you know, everybody goes, oh, I'd like to have a twin. Yeah, who wouldn't? But for a single engine helicopter, the horsepower to weight ratio to lift, I mean, it's just such a versatile, amazing aircraft. I absolutely love it. You know, I, I like the A-Star. I really do. It's like I've flown on it a couple of times. We had hoisted in it a couple of times. I always laugh when I go out for a training class with an A-star because as an instructor, you're looking over the shoulder of the guy that's hoisted. And then as he's bringing the gear out, you're stepping out of the aircraft on the skin on the other side. Just keep the weight and balance right. Like, okay, yeah. bring the dude in. Let's land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you, like, you guys do a lot of law enforcement and search and rescue. So since I love my search and rescue stuff, do you remember your first search and rescue case? Um, yeah, it, it was my very, very first was in the military. So, uh, on the highway patrol. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, I'm, I'm good. We can start with the military. I'm all, <laughs> let's start with very number one. I'm all about it. Uh, the very first one was, we're going back a long way. So I don't know if this is the absolute first one is, uh, this would be in the early nineties. Um, but there was one where we were up in the Tahoe area and there was a lost hiker kind of near uh, a ski resort in a valley area. And so went up there, inserted a bunch of SAR ground personnel, did a bunch of flying around, located her. And there near where we're working was a resort. And, uh, so we ended up hoisting her out landing at the resort, which just happened to also be having this big wedding. And the wedding party was so blown away, not literally by the Blackhawk rotor wash, uh, but they were so excited to see a helicopter land at their venue that we ended up posing with the wedding party what? as part, was part of the, 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 the rest at the end of the rescue, let the, you know, let the girl wasn't hurt or anything. So we turned her over to ground personnel and then posed with the uh, with the wedding party. It was pretty uh, surreal. That's pretty awesome. Just walk over. You may now kiss the bride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Oh, I like that. That's pretty awesome. Nice. All right. So, what about when you uh, when you came into the highway patrol? Um, there. So, I mean, there. 
literally in my span of 23 years. And for many years, we have the two probably busiest offices. And I started down in the Fresno area. And so that part of California is extremely rugged uh, versus and like when people get injured or lost in that part of California. So we're talking south of Yosemite and the Sierra Nevadas. To me, when I first flew down there, uh, having flown in Northern California for so long, you get down there to the east uh, and the southeast, it looks to, I've never flown in Switzerland, but the mountain ranges look, are, are jagged. They're very, very picturesque. Where you get Northern California, you got a lot of rolling foothills. Then you got some Sierra Mountains around the Lake Tahoe area, but nothing like uh, Central and South Mammoth, that area. So, I, you know, you give me your questions. I was racking my brain. I go, there's been so many over the years that they all uh, tend to blend together, but they, they're all unique. I, I can't say you, you don't ever want to say there's like a, a cookie cutter rescue because every single one has variables to it. Uh, but one that definitely sticks out, and this one was uh, probably eight years ago uh, in this division. Uh, it was uh, Matterhorn Peak. It's around 12,000 feet. Uh, I wish I could send you the picture. The lenticular clouds over the Sierras, this, they were dark, very crazy looking lenticulars. The winds were howling out of the southwest. And one thing I, you know, we're training newer pilots or anybody I come in contact, I go, the way that the topography is in California, especially in this area, we have strong winds out of the south southwest in all of my career those are the winds that i've had more close calls with bad winds and massive downdrafts and so we get up there and we're trying to find a guy that's he's, he's got cell reception and he's pretty messed up like pretty major injuries and so we're in our little a star and we're coming down this ridge and the turbulence was was definitely severe and i finally just told my partner okay hoist things off the table we're, we're not and i don't even know if we're going to be able to hover so we we're kind of just coming around this mountain range and just doing gun runs and i just i told my partner i go hey i'm going to control the aircraft your job is to look for this guy on the side of this ridge and we made probably a dozen to two dozen passes and and each time i'm just trying to control the aircraft and the severe turbulence and he's looking and we never we had a general location we never found him and so we went back to our lz and the same time the military came in from nevada in a blackhawk and it always makes you feel better when you're you know you're doing everything you can as a little little bird and a blackhawk shows up and it's so severe that they can't hoist either <laughs> and so but they had night vision they had night vision goggles and they were because we were doing our search it was getting close to sunset so they found them pretty quick with a light uh and they couldn't do any hoisting so i know they got ground personnel close by and then the next day uh my sister unit that flew chinooks went up there and they did the hoist and those pilots even the wind was pretty strong the next day go, you're insane. I mean, they're just like, we're in a Chinook and we're, we're puckered pretty tight doing what we're doing. I go, that can't go. They couldn't even imagine doing in a little helicopter. And I said, yeah, that's what we do. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. 
Dang. So you, I, I gotta, I gotta back up a sec. So Chinook, you have a sister company that has, Oh, the sister company to the, the military, um, the military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They roll up so, in there. So let me back up. Yeah. Dang. All right. Yeah. So I, uh, I mean, so when I said I, I was in from 87 to 99, uh, in the guard and then I, I got out and 13 years later. So 2012, basically, uh, I re-enlisted and um, back into the guard, deployed to Afghanistan and then finished up a 20 year career. Uh, so I had a 13 year break in service Wow! and people always go, why did you get back in? I go, ah, my life was too perfect. So I, you know, decided to screw it all up and deploy to Afghanistan. So uh, no, it was a really, really good last eight years to finish up a, a good 20 year career. Did, were you flying in Afghanistan as well? Yeah. So I was uh, back in the UH 60s as a medevac pilot in uh, Western nice. Afghanistan. Medevac pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. I, I've heard stories of medevac pilots and what you guys did over there, too. Just yeah. Throw that out there. Just just yeah. plant that little seed for a minute. <laughs> um, so I, all right, so back to this last story. So a Chinook coming in. So those that don't know, a Chinook is that big double prop helicopter, double rotor head helicopter that's coming in. They they can they fly through some stuff and to have yeah. them butt puckered and knowing you're coming in with an A star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, man, I'll, I'll do this all day. Let's go. <laughs> what else? <you> got? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, but over, like I said, over the years, uh, the last couple of years have been a little bit slower, I think, due to COVID. Um, but on average, for our unit, just here in Valley Division on the High Patrol, we would get in the fifties uh, rescues between June, July, and August. I mean, it, it, we, we, we crank out a lot because it's such a world destination, right. Lake Tahoe, uh, that the volume of people up there, and you can literally drive to close to everything except for the small, I mean, they're not that small, but the wilderness areas, the only areas that don't have like backcountry roads or fire roads or something like that. So, and you can get to a lot of that remote area pretty quick from the Tahoe Basin. So a lot of people that go up there vacationing, don't turn on a radio. And the thing is, in the summertime, you see blue skies. But the way the, the weather pattern is, they, the Sierras get hammered with huge uh, thunder cells. So... Well, you can wake up to blue skies in the morning and it rains and hails over Tahoe, but the whole, you know, west of Tahoe is completely, you know, blue skies. Wow. So the, that typically that or uh, bro broken ankles are by far number one, um, <laughs> by far, because yeah. I mean, there's just, there's so many, there's thousands of people, I mean, hundreds of thousands that go annually up in the summertime to go all the resorts, ski resorts are open in the summertime for hiking and mountain biking. I mean, there's so many trails. So we're very, very, very busy every summer um, for rescues. And they vary from, I mean, like I said, it's, there's no one type of rescue, but 
So generally, it's always going to be almost a broken ankle. Yeah. Um, so what are you guys using to retrieve those, especially with a hoist, if you're hoisting out? So for years, we relied heavily on the uh, search and rescue uh, community to assist with the process because we fly a crew of two. So pilot and then paramedic flight officer. Uh, so they're the hoist operator. Um, the last several years, one of our members in our unit, Matt Kalka, has been instrumental in promoting and really organizing um, the, uh, I just had one of your senior moments, uh, <laughs> the, the HRT program, the Helicopter Rescue uh, Technician Program with high standards. I mean, all the members have to be paramedics. All the members have to have a uh, high angle rope. All the paramedics or all the rescuers are uh avalanche they're self-contained so they know that we're going to go in in really bad weather and we may not come back for them if the weather uh, envelope closes so they're self-contained they can hike they can get themselves out of extreme backcountry areas so wow, um, cool. we've been slowly yeah so we've been using less and less of just the the normal SAR members and going exclusively with HRT members um, because you just we train with them uh, they're, they're highly qualified and they, they have requirements that they have to meet. So there's that whole, like, all right, who's this person we're going to, you know, that's packaging yeah. the patient. We absolutely know they're qualified. So it, it was definitely a game changer. You know, I, I can't agree with you more. And, and for people that don't understand that to have a trusted guy that you know you're one deploying out of the aircraft and that you have down on ground that not only knows the ground side of things, but the aviation side of things. Like yeah. that is ridiculous. Like the knowledge to have that because I've been there, I, I've been on scene with both and you're like, you're trying to brief guys on the ground. You're like, okay, this is what you guys are going to do. And you're like, please don't mess this up. You know? And then you're looking at guys in the air and as, or as a guy in the air, you look at the guys in the ground, you're like, do they actually know what they're doing? Like, holy cow, we're about yeah. to place this guy 50 feet off the ground. If they, if he's packaged strong, he, he, yeah, this could, this could end very poorly. So good and, for you and, guys. You know, it's like, and it's like everything, you know, it's the infancy of everything 20, 30 years ago, you did what you had to do. And we, like I said, we relied heavily on SAR members and there was nothing wrong with them, but we just, you don't, there's a turnover. They're all volunteers. Yep. They're not all capable of doing the job. So some have, you know, health issues or, uh, or they're elderly. They're just people that like to hike in the mountains and they want to help. So I, God bless them for wanting to help, but they're probably not the best person that should be packaging a patient on the ground. So going away, I mean, they're, great asset for what they do but when it comes to as we have grown and as everyone knows the industry is you know trying to be as safe as you can and mitigate risk so having hrt members like i said it's been a absolute game changer you know when you're talking with an a-star so going back to your question we wear basically three hats our primary job is obviously to support the ground officers first and foremost secondly is uh we wear a second hat of rescues a rescue technician. So we go up and do the rescues. And then third, we, we are a medical transport helicopter. We are ALS. So we have a lot of gear on that helicopter and it, it can get busy. And so uh, we're always really limited on weight because they take every, you know, in the aviation world, they build these amazing helicopters. And then what happens, everybody wants to throw a bunch of stuff on it and it slowly you lose all that weight to 
power ratio and now you're working with a minimal uh power margin so you know the a star 143 gallons we normally fly with 90 to 95 that's the max we can have due to all the gear that we have because we have yeah. rescue gear we have medical gear um so yeah it, it adds up dang yeah I, I, weight adds up quick in a helicopter and, and people don't quite understand that it's not like loading up your car and like ah i'm a little overweight no no, no. we can't take off like there yeah or if you take off you can't like put that sucker in a in a hover because yeah no we're, we're too heavy yeah <laughs> and then you gotta be and dumping we, fuel we, and i don't like that right yeah <laughs> so we uh like and since we cover 13 counties and the and that that changes a lot so we go from sea level up to twelve thousand feet so wow. it and that's just pressure altitude when you start talking density altitude i mean i've been doing hoisting at thirteen thousand feet uh da fourteen thousand feet da i mean we strip the aircraft that's got minimal fuel to do the mission but yeah i mean it, it's 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 always you're always that close to to the power margin well that sounds like a story do tell <laughs> um the the cup, like I was telling you, the Southwest winds, um, and it's kind of like lessons learned type of thing. Uh, there have been a couple of times you do, you check all the boxes, you mitigate all the risks, but at the end of the day, you can't mitigate mother nature when she decides to slap you pretty hard. And I've gotten very, very lucky in two close encounters with the ground uh, running out uh, or just a massive downdraft. So the things that saved me was being having an exit plan, a good deal of luck and, uh, and, and basically sticking with the plan. And so just coming in to land literally with and we got a major headwind powers like super good and then all of a sudden boom it's gone and we're being drove you know drove to the ground and one time i just took my out flew away and go well we're done <laughs> we're not doing that mission uh another time this one's probably 15 years ago same thing yeah, feel free um, to throw in a couple details of the whole mission by the way i'm just gonna throw uh, that they're, out they're there basically <laughs> they're they're Lake Tahoe. They're on the every, you know, if you've been in the search and rescue industry, you always know they're never in the best place to do anything. They're right. always in the bowl. They're on the, the downwind side. They're, they're just in the, the, the worst places. It's like, I, it's a treat when you have a, a rescue where they're in an open field or in an open area or they have a nice headwind. It's never that. So they were both, uh, both in the wrong areas on the, the back uh, side of the mountains, all the nasty winds. It's just a big uh, soup bowl of, of bad air and you're trying to mitigate and you're getting enough read. You go, okay, I feel confident. We've stripped all the gear. Our power margin's good. We're not, you're not seeing anything major. Um, and you do your power checks, you're coming in and then out of nowhere, the wind uh, disappears and both times they were uh back country broken ankles so it's like i said it's it seems to always be broken ankles like uh i don't i don't yeah it's just people twist an ankle break an ankle and both times uh literally headed to the ground like i said the one time I, 
it happened high enough where I was able to fly out of it. The second time, I didn't even have enough time to tell my partner we're going to crash. And the only thing in the back of my mind is, okay, I'm max power. And when I go, when we get into ground effect, that might be just enough to stop us from impacting the ground. And then that's exactly what occurred. So like I said, I was earlier in the career and before I really learned that Southwest winds were extremely dangerous. I mean, winds are bad anyways. And it just seems like we have the same velocity out of the north northeast it doesn't tend to to turn it up as as bad as it does when they're out of the south southwest they're just the way the the mountain ranges are it's just i hate south south winds and i'm talking 30 40 mile an hour winds and yeah. stuff like that so um yeah and and you know what i'll help out for some people that don't fly and or understand that but basically your downdraft is something that may come up over the, the ridge lines of the mountain. And then all of a sudden it circles over the top and comes back down on the backside. So if you come, oh, heli- yeah. if you're a helicopter coming in, you know, you're pulling power, let's say outside of that downdraft. Uh, and you're like, okay, I've got enough power. Well, as soon as you get in close to do the hoist, now the downdraft hits the top of the helicopter. And that's where you get that push down. And all of a sudden you're pulling max power. Is that pretty accurate? Absolutely. It's almost like it, I knew what like- I was doing. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> no, it's, and it's like everything, you know, I, I would tell newer pilots be conservative um, more. So it's like you get a new car, you just started driving. You're really conservative. You don't know the dimensions of the car. You, you know, you're, you're learning your craft. And then as you get more driving experience and just like flying, you're like, okay, you start, you have some, you know, close calls with whatever. I mean, that's just part of learning. Uh, and then as you go along, you, you take all those experiences and you listen to other people and you apply that to what you're doing. And there, like I said, you can factor everything else out. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, there's just those weird random anomalies in, in high altitude mountain flying is one of them with strong winds. It's just uh, as I get to the end of my career, I, I definitely have made more uh all right go no goes like these are my new parameters and and i'm just not going to um bend so so to speak because i've just i've seen it so many times i've just going no it's not worth it i've been up there so many times with these similar conditions and we couldn't do anything because the winds were so so bad even like going back to the earlier rescue attempt with the chinook story I mean, at the end of the day, I knew like, okay, I can control the aircraft. We can do, we can do some gun runs by and you can look, but we're not going to land. We're not going to hover. We're not even going to try it. It's just too, too crazy. And then as you get the whole from start to finish, you just make those uh, uh, kind of those checks and balances, everything from when you first get the mission to, okay, I like everything so far and, and you keep reevaluating through the whole entire, pro- it isn't just like we're going and then you go, it's through the whole process. You're constantly going, all right, are we going to continue? And then you go a little further. Are we going to continue? And yeah. you're reevaluating constantly. And people, constantly. I, there's some people that don't understand that is like, you've, you've made a decision based on what you have that at that moment in time. Well, that may change yeah. in 30 seconds. So now yeah. you have to make a new decision, a new plan. All because of a yeah. downdraft or a different wind change or uh, whatever. Like all of a sudden yep. it's different that quick. 
So. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the other things is we've, we've responded to a lot of car calls in the, the weather's fine, especially when it comes to winds. And it isn't until you get to where you're at that you go, Oh, wow, this is completely different than the last 30 minute flight that we took just to get here. Right. And that's when you're like, Oh, let's, let's rethink this. Cause it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm all about it. This, this is all about real rescues, man. Come on. I'll take oh, another yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, our program uh, in 2016, after evaluating night fishing goggles for uh, 14 years, we finally um, started. We have a new chief pilot. He's yep. very good. And he, uh, we had a program in on the books, but nobody, the previous chief pilots, nobody wanted to move forward. So in 2016, Four, sorry, 14 finally, years of evaluating night vision goggles. Yeah, exactly. And you, yeah. you now have them? No, no, no. We flew with them for 14 years. Oh. We were never allowed to fly in the mountains at night with goggles. What? So yeah. Yeah. So we, in 2016, oh, we finally, uh, we finally uh, did that. So now we're, I'm hoping before I retire, we'll, we'll take to the last phase, which we have policy, everything's in place. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully start uh, night hoisting uh, next year. Call me. I'll come out. I'll help you out. I got yeah. you that one. Yeah. I yeah. love well, I've done goggles. With, yeah. I, yeah I've, I've done that on in the military. I just yeah. uh, haven't done it on the highway patrol. Yeah. It's uh, it is a game changer. Highly recommended. NVGs. I know they're expensive. Good job for the chief pilot now. Smart move. Yeah, yeah. Tyler Johns is a rock star. Oh, well done, Mr. Tyler Johns. Good job, man. Woo. <laughs> All right, so uh, I I do have to ask because you did say you were in Afghanistan. Do you have any uh, cool stories from over there? Uh, well, there there is a funny story. Uh, I like funny. So yeah, so we were in a. Uh, an area called Farah and in this area they had probably little little I call them foothills but they're probably two three thousand foot little dinker mountains if you want to call them that and we're just doing keeping our currency going and I had this young kid in the back and we're you know so we're blacked out it's night and we're just doing pattern work and we're in the downwind and my crew chief goes Hey, sir, uh, I think somebody's taking pictures of the helicopter. Now, I'm an amateur photographer, and I, I'm like, there's no camera system on the planet that can take a picture of a helicopter from 3,000 feet away at night. Um, so he goes, I'm seeing, a bunch of, I'm seeing a bunch of flashes, sir. And so... God bless him. God bless yeah. his heart. <laughs> it struck me as humorous because it, it's like not all guns have tracers. So I just said, yeah, I just go, Calvin, I go, that would be gunfire. So let's change where we're training. And so we told the appropriate people and we flew to a different training area. But yeah, I was so from then on, when we did see gunfire, I'd always tease them and go, well, are you sure? Or is it just people taking pictures of us? <laughs> oh, gosh. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody starts somewhere. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah exactly. I've made my mistakes, too. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know what? I'll tell you one that, that can relate to that is when I first started flying, 
um, they we had to do. I don't know if you guys had to do the same thing in the army, but you give a fifteen minute like uh, position ops normal, all that jazz. Yep. And yep. Uh, I remember calling them, and it was like, "Yeah, this is our position. Ops are good." And they were like, "Good? No, no, it's never good. It's normal or abnormal. It's you either <laughs> are normal or you have a problem. It's not yeah. good." <laughs> Yeah. It's, like, yeah oh, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it's <laughs> all good. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Dang. Well, I like I said, I mean, I'll, I'll keep going. I, I love hearing stories. So whatever you've got. Um, let's see. What else do I have? Um, I'll tell you what. We we'll have, go. Oh, we have oh to go I'll ahead. tell you this. So you could be the most amazing um rescue crew pilot doesn't matter the biggest probably accolade story national news i ever got was for saving a horse so when what? It comes to anim- yeah when it comes to animals everybody loves animals so we were we were in route to a a, a medical transport and we're flying across the valley and we noticed big column of smoke. So it was kind of in our flight path. So we detoured over and took a look and it just so happened it was a barn on fire. So we orbited, there's no fire people, uh, fire departments on scene. So clearly it's an unreported fire. So we report the fire and it's pretty, it's a big barn. It's really engulfed in flames. But on the backside of the barn is a small corral with a horse that's going nuts. So I tell my partner, hey, let's just land. Let's l- let the horse out of the corral into the open you know, field, uh, at least save the horse. And then so we orbited, land, fire's coming. My partner gets out and uh, he opens, he does what he has to do. Well, I'm sitting there. I look over. And I see a chicken coop and it's full of chickens attached to this barn. So, uh, and for those people that have never done it, uh, especially the mindset when I came from the military to the civilian side, leaving a running helicopter with nobody sitting in it is a very foreign thing, but we do it when we reconfigure our helicopter. That's, that's a normal thing. We lock the controls down, you get out, it's at idle. You reconfigure it because we're a crew of two. I got, I've got to reconfigure the helicopter for, because we don't fly regularly configured for a medical transport. So it's just a normal thing. I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times. It's a, it's a natural, normal, safe thing to do, especially if it's urgent. A lot of times we try to shut down when we can, but there's sometimes where I got to burn fuel off. The patient is so uber critical that there's no time to shut down. We got, it's going to be a quick thing. So I literally just locked the controls, walked over and opened up the chicken coop and tried to throw these chickens out. But chickens don't like to leave their coop. So they kept running back in until I got about half of them out of the chicken coop. Then they finally, the rest of them ran out. Well, as it turns out, that horse was the farmer's like prize breeding stallion. And it made, it was in the papers, you know, it's it just, it was a, it was a huge story. And I'm just like, it was just the horse and chickens, but to people, man, it's, it's, it's their livelihood, I guess. But, you know, I've rescued a lot of people that didn't never made the news and I, we rescued a horse and it was literally international news. And I was just like, what? So that, that's always a funny story. Oh, I like that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think the one article I remember off the top of my head is like 
you remember the old CHP television show, there's Ponch and John. Yeah. And the story started out with like, you know, on chips with Ponch and John, you know, and then there's an old, older Highway Patrol TV show. And I don't remember the actor's name. And it goes, those guys couldn't do it. Ponch and John couldn't do it, but they named me and my partner, Kevin and Jeff did it. And they, they it went into the rescue of the horse and i was just like wow <laughs> yeah so I've, I've we've rescued prize breeding stallions that's hilarious oh i love yeah. that good job yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um out of curiosity like you know we talk about all these different cases that we've been on and we've done is there anything that you would kind of go back and and almost Monday morning quarterback it as you will like lessons learned or I would do this next time. Is there anything like oh, that? Absolutely. Um, so what do you what do you uh, got that you could kind of head, no because what we normally do every a hundred percent of the time and I encourage all crews to do it, good or bad, we always discuss good things, like what went right, anything we can fix. And it's on, it's at that moment. I mean, it's literally as we're done, we're cleaning up the helicopter, we're going back to base, whatever. We discuss what just happened and what could we have done better. And when we find things we can do better as a unit, we'll, we'll discuss it as a unit. Obviously, as a crew, we'll discuss it between the crew member and I. Um, no, they're, they're over the years. I mean, we have went from no taglines to taglines, and now we're going back to tagless. Uh, as a tool, it's not always, it's, it is a tool and surprisingly, uh, surprisingly, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with this new technique. What you like stories. So here is a, this one's probably, oh, it's been a couple, yeah, it's probably been at least 15, 17 years. Um, it was one of our last tagless stokes basket rescues uh i came into a hover hole it was a lady that was thrown from a horse um we're not too far from where our base is it's just literally maybe five minute flight down into this canyon so it's in the trees tall trees steep canyon so we're in this hover hole and it talk about everything going wrong so the rotor wash is hit affecting the load they misload the, the patient. They put a bunch of gear so the load was off balance. No tagline, stokes. And it's one of those basket type stokes. So really caught the rotor wash. And my partner and I worked a lot together. So we were very, very crew uh, integrated. And it was the first time in my career with her that her voice was like, that had an edge to it where she's about to watch somebody die. And so as the load came up within seconds, it was, you take any of these videos that you've seen in the last couple of years that the spins are, I mean, like full RPM. Uh, And I'll explain how fast it was going in a few minutes, but it it was every bit, if not faster. So as it's coming up, I hear a voice. I look over my shoulder because our hoist on the left side. And I see the cable kind of moving and wiggling around. And she's like, it is out of control. And as I'm looking, the IV of the patient gets literally shot uh, out of the basket, like a a cannon. And so I'm just like, you know, in in training, you know, you don't train for a high speed spin. Then we we have kind of worked on a little bit now. 
but back then there was, there was no, what do you do when you have a spin? You talk about it, but there's no training for it. So just based on all of my experience with flying, uh, and there was no way to fly away where I was at. I was going to have to come up out of the trees. And then, so being the voice of calm in the aircraft, uh, I told my partner, I go, Hey, I'm going to come up and we're going to start flying forward and it, it's going to slow down. Now this was in theory and it's stuff I've read and stuff, but I wasn't hundred percent sure. Based on 15 uh, years ago. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So as we're coming up and we start flying now, meanwhile, she's like this, the basket's going to, is going to fold or it's going to come off. And it was one of those things in the back of my head and all of my career, I would never thought I would ever do, but there was a moment there where I'm like, I'm not taking the entire aircraft out for the victim, unfortunately. And we do have it, you know, we can pickle the load. Yep. So it, it ran, I ran through the process of what it's going to take for me to do that. And fortunately never got there, but Good. if it started getting catastrophic, it, it was like, Hey, it's all of us or, or unfortunately the victim. Right. So as we came up out of the trees, I accelerated, she slowed down and, um, we landed at our LZ, reconfigured, put her on board, and she did suffer. She blacked out. I mean, it, it like, for being recorded, no one will see it, but like, you see my fingers. It was probably like that fast. It was, yeah. it was RPM, it was a blur. So as I was coming up out of the trees, I looked one more time over my left shoulder and I could see the shadow. And I was, I knew she said it was, the load was spinning, but when I saw that shadow, I was like, holy crap, that's fast. So yeah, yeah just, we flew away and, and it ended up, everything was, it worked out well, but it's one of those things now, years since, you know, there's all kinds of uh, talking points and training and yeah. discussions. And, and this is back in the infancy, I think, of rescue hoist training and stuff like that. It's probably closer to 20 years ago. Yeah. So, well, you know, but it's interesting that that still happens. I mean, what was it? Just a couple of years ago, Arizona had it happen to them. There's no reason yeah. for this anymore. Well, I, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. I, I've said, I spoke a little out of term. There is limited, like we have so many different avenues that you can do to prevent that or to fix it later. Like I get it. Everybody gets into a spin at one point or another, even, you know, I had it not too long ago. Like I got in, I, Somebody got into a spin, but you can mitigate it. Put them back to the ground. Yep. Go into forward flight. Forward yep. flight, it's, it literally just will, will – the wind dissipates, the rotor wash goes behind you. You have it's – like, yep. it's like a kite now, and it just stabilizes. It's amazing. Forward yep. flight. It's, yeah, and, yeah, so when you're in back in the early days of rescue icing, there, there, there was just discussions, right. but now yeah. there's a lot of lessons learned out there, and, and yeah. I absolutely agree. Every, anybody can get a spin. It, it can happen, yeah. and I agree yeah. with you. You either put the load right back on the ground, but, like, afterwards, like, we found that they had put all kinds of gear by her feet. Um, the uh -huh. rotor wash affected the load. Yeah. I mean, there were so many – things that were bad on that whole that whole rescue that it was like okay yeah and then we after that we went pure tag line uh for till just uh within the last year like i said we've added back tagless um and it, it works fine it's like it just it's tools for your toolbox yeah it's one of my favorite sayings yep and i it's so I'm on board. Like I like using a tagline to make sure that I have secured the load and, and that helps the, the guy in the air. Um, and I, one of the terms that I use, and actually this comes from my dad uh, being on steeples all his life and being in the air, but 
He's like, the guy on the ground is his job is to help the guy in the air. The guy in the air is his job is to help the guy on the ground. As long as you guys are working yeah. together to help each other out, the load is going to be perfect. It's, it's going to come up no problem. So by yeah. adding a tagline to the bottom, I'm now helping the guy in the air by keeping that load plumb. Um, now, if you have a good headwind, let's call it 20 knots, you know, you know that load is not going to get into a major spin. You've got a good headwind blowing the road wash behind you. Is it necessary? <sighs> maybe, maybe not. What, what I'm an advocate for, and we've been trying it more and more, uh, is I, and I did some testing this last summer and talking to ground crews doing, cause we do two times a year, big training events, uh, re, just kind of our recertification for our external load, uh, stuff. And, I, I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, so I've been, and we tested it and so far the ground personnel said it wasn't as bad. I'm in big a fan when you can do it, just come in for a low hoist. So I'm talking 35 to 50 feet or 50 feet, definitely for less. Um, and talking with the ground personnel, it, they said, whether you're 30 or 40 feet, or 140 feet, it's still the, the rotor wash is pounding them down below. Mm -hmm. But we come in so much quicker and the hoist is so much faster that we're only there for a few seconds. Mm -hmm. And so inserting our rescue technicians, uh, picking up loads, it's literally three seconds or less. Yeah. I mean, the line's already coming down, they hook it up, boom, it's coming up and we're gone. So uh, that's the biggest change I, I want to say in my career is, is doing lower picks um yeah but if, if you come in like really slow yeah you're gonna beat up your ground personnel for a longer period of time but we do dynamic hoisting so it's Love not it. just come down left yeah so we come in you know we come in kind of quicker boom we're over the target cable's already been deployed they hook it up and we're gone so yep. it's it, it minimizes all of it Oh, I, I love dynamic hoisting. I really do. And if you have the terrain to be able to do that in, you know, you start yeah. getting into the taller trees and stuff. It's a little more complicated, but you can still no, so do, get into that spot, dynamic hoist at the top of the tree and boom, static hoist, pull them in as soon as yep. you're above the tree, dynamic hoist the way out. You're done. Yep. yep. Love it. So we, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tool for the toolbox, like I was saying, but yeah, we'll do 130 foot picks if we it's whatever the terrain ab absolutely dictates options i like options <laughs> yeah yeah but I, you know what you actually said it in the very beginning there's no such thing as a cookie cutter rescue no that no that does not happen we every rescue that i have ever been on has been different every one of them there is not one that i can remember that was the same or oh that was just like that one no they're no. all different now you can go back to your basic training and your everything's standard calls. This is where all your terminology should be right. Your hand signals should be right. Packaging the patient should be right. You know the basics. But as far as the rescue itself, yeah, it's going to be different. <laughs> yeah. So, man, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Keep, keep going. I'm good. I was going to say one of the philosophies I developed years ago as well and because i've when i've been all right let me back up a little bit as well so i have a huge love of safety so in the military i was the safety officer and then i've been the unit safety officer and one of the training pilots here as well for quite a while 
And so anytime we have incidences or anytime you see stuff or anytime there's like, you know, like you hear of a, you know, a mission, you reevaluate it. And the one thing that I've seen on, on both industries, military, civilian, it doesn't matter, is when people attach too much emotion to the mission, meaning, and, and especially in the EMS world, um, I am a huge advocate and sometimes when I, I say it in such a way, people go, oh, that's pretty cold, but is their emergency is not our emergency. And I use that so, all the time, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I go, I go, I tell, I go, if my mother and now, and I always preface it, I'm going to use everything to my ability and what the regulations and policy to the fullest extent to get there, to do that rescue. But at the end of the day, if there's a parameter that we aren't authorized or the weather or whatever, if my mother's the one that's circling the drain in that LZ, at the end of the day, I'm like, hey, she's going to have, it's going to be tragic, but I'm not going to push it to that, to push a bad situation worse. Right. Right. And I, but I've seen in my, like I said, I've been in aviation since 87. Uh, I've seen the, that would be the consistency is people like, why did you do that? And it's because they were too emotionally vested in that mission to say no or to step back and go, yeah, the weather's decaying. It's yeah. getting dark. We didn't have goggle. I mean, just whatever you want to apply to the scenario. And that's yeah. why for probably the last decade, I've been at, hey, their emergency isn't our emergency. So not to sound cold, yeah. but you have to at some point, I, I always use the medic triage. You get to a big scene and you have a lot of people in varying levels of injury. You have to decide who's getting the treatment, who's going to perish. I go, that's just like a call. You have to be able to triage that call to go, okay, we can get there. Oh, we can't get there anymore. And, and now uh, we have to turn around and say no, or you get right before you can do the rescue. And you're like, yeah, the winds are too strong and I, I want to rescue that person. But yeah. I'm just like, yeah, it's their bad day, not my bad day. Right. And, and their bad day could turn our good day into a very bad day if, if people yeah. push too far. And a great example of that is the Mount Hood rescue with the Blackhawk. They go in, they get a downdraft. They didn't have the downdraft when they got in there. Downdraft took that helo right out of the air, uh, right out of the sky. And next thing you know, the aircraft is rolling down the mountain. So yep. all bad. So yeah, super yeah, smart. And, yeah. In the, uh, Oh, I was going to say something else. Um, Sorry. The, yeah, no worries. It'll come back to me in like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Standard ops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. I love your, uh, I love you were talking about an exit plan earlier as well. Um, one of the things that I do personally, or, or, or like we do as a crew is we'll go through a checklist like an on-scene checklist. Like you roll up on scene, you're going to check the winds. What is it doing? Is it coming over the pass? Is it going to affect us when we get in on scene? And then what is your exit plan? What are you going to do in case there's some sort of an emergency? Do you have an emergency flyaway? Do you have an emergency landing area? You know, and I know guys right. that, have, that have been able to use that and live to tell the tale. Like, yeah. So um, the big smart. thing that, that I, 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 as being an instructor pilot for years, the one thing that I try to instill with, as I say, the, the younger generation um, is to treat, treat it in a phase. So 
story uh, about the the LZ or the rescue until you get there. Oh, that's I, I told you it was going to come. Hey, out. hey, so, yeah, yeah. So the point I was trying to make just a few minutes ago was the one thing that people don't understand when you push a bad situation and, and damage an aircraft or uh, or make a bad situation worse. Especially, okay, let's say you pushed it and you pranged the helicopter, you didn't destroy it. But maybe it's going to be down for two weeks. Maybe that's your only rescue helicopter. I always look at it as, okay, you, you, you pushed it too far, you damaged the aircraft, and it's going to be out for two weeks. But what about tomorrow? What about the day after that? What about the day after that? How many other people are you possibly not going to be able to help because you pushed a situation that you shouldn't have pushed? And so that, that goes back to that reevaluate um constantly evaluate and then treat the the entire mission in phases so like treat it as the departure phase get all your information and then the in route phase and then the actual rescue phase and then the get home phase you know yes uh and and don't think about the rescue phase if you're still in the planning phase because you're, you're not there at the scene yet so um and then when you're at the scene the the things that i always talk about guys is like hey what are things that can kill you or injure you right here, right now? And it's not people than an LZ. So it's like aircraft, birds, wires, weather. So worry about those things until you have to worry about the things down on the ground, but don't start when you go, Hey, what are you going to think about? Oh, I'm thinking about the wires and the LZ and blah, blah. Like we're still like 20 miles away. Yeah. So think think about the things that are going to hurt you right here, right now, and then treat each phase like that. So I can't, I mean, there's all kinds of acronyms that people came up with that for LZ, PZ, recons and everything. And mine's pretty sweet and to the point. It's just high, low, look out below and everything. I love is it. Just, I yeah. absolutely love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. High, obviously, is your high recon. And I always say it's the only thing in that zone is other air. Now we have to add drones because I've had a few oh, drone close calls. Right? But, you know, you got aircraft, birds, and, and drones at that altitude. And then, yeah. then when you get the low, is like your low recon. And then the lookout below is the actual, now we're looking at the LZ. Yeah. So, and there's lots of recon, you know, there's a million, everybody has their own recon. We have one at work called Asbat and stuff like that, but I just like high, low, look out below. So. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm going to use that for me. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to say it was mine. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, go for uh, it. Come man. on, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you got to get royalties from me. That's cool. I'm going yeah, to too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. No, high, low, look out below. Man, that's great. Um, you know, it's interesting you, you talk about that because I've been in the aircraft and I've been a victim of my own uh, like, oh my God, excited. The adrenaline starts pumping and you start making those decisions like, okay, when we get on scene, we're going to do this, 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 and this. I haven't even seen this scene yet. And I'm already making my hoist game plan. Yeah. Step back, take a moment, slow it down, you know, and I have to put myself and again, I'm not speaking for anybody else out there. Me personally, I need to put myself in check as a hoist operator and as a rescue guy to say, Let's get on scene. Let's see what's there. Then make the decision as far as how we're going to execute. I think that's really important for everybody out there. I absolutely agree with that. That's don't uh, one kind of analogy to that, that I want to say the EMS world started doing is because when they call like they're, when they do the helicopter shopping, the weather is absolutely horrible. 
this provider turned it down, this provider turned it down, this provider turned it down. And when they go, hey, we have a two-year-old, and that's why like I said, you got to remove yourself from the equation. They go, right. we got a two-year-old. And when they attach that, they're like, oh, there's more pressure. So now that they're more like, hey, we have a patient, Are you? can you make it? And they just go, no, I can't make it. They don't want to give you those little details to make that bad decision. Like, oh, it's a two-year-old. Like, I would not normally fly this way, but since it's a two-year-old, I'll, I'll push a bad situation. Yeah. yeah. And I always tell, like, when I'm doing evaluations, I go, hey, what are your limitations? And people always, you know, talk about aircraft. And I, the one that I like to stress more is what are your personal limitations? Great one. People don't address their own limitations. And, and when we do training with other allied agencies, the one I think death statement that people make is when you have a ground coordinator that goes, oh, these guys landed here yesterday or that pilot landed on that rock. Uh-huh. And I always, I always stress that when we go do training, I go, I may be comfortable landing here today. But the next crew that comes, they may not. So don't always just go, hey, they're going to be able to land here. I go, it's it's predicated on the crew. That guy might be brand new into the program, only has a you know a couple hundred to a thousand. I mean, he's new, it, just everything. So and hit that that LZ might be just a little too small for him. So if they decide, it's always the crew's decision. If they decide not to do whatever that is, that's their call. And um, you just got to respect it. So, but going back to what we're talking about, yeah, I, where are we going? So the only thing I really care about is altitude. Like what's the elevation, what's the weather, what's the winds. And then that's about all I really care about. Cause it's, I would say, we always preach this when we do our training, 60% of the time of all the calls I get for a hoist, that's a, Hey, it's a hoist call. 60% of the time we can land. So we can land close by because yeah. we have a mindset that we are only going to use that hoist as an absolute last resort because it puts a helicopter in such a precarious, you know, we can't land. So if anything goes wrong, we're going to crash. Right. So we're going to hoist at the last. So I would say 60% of the hoist calls that I get, 60% of the time, uh, we land close by, nearby, or um, yeah, it's it's not, we don't do that many, uh, do a lot of hoist, but based on the call volume, we, we shed it by easily 60%. Wow. So, but yeah. So then, um, as we're going to the call, like you're saying, we, regardless, if we have really good Intel, like oh, that's probably going to be a hoist every single time we are going right to the LZ to reconfigure, to go do the hoist. We're absolutely going to go to the scene. Like you said, we're going to size it up, look yeah. at it, look for hazards, kind of figure out a game plan because going back to the 60%, I go, Oh no, I can land on that little ledge right over there and they can just hike right to us. And we don't even have to do a hoist. So we're absolutely going to evaluate every single call once we get there. And I'm not going to make any decisions before I get there, of what we're going to do until I see it. Yeah. And and that's the only way to do it. You have to do it like that. Cause you start making a game plan, you know, and I've seen guys do this too. And, like I said, I, I hate, I, I don't want to throw other people on the bus. So that's why I like to throw myself under the bus more than anything else. Yep. Like, I try to keep myself in check before we get on scene. And if I get guys yep. in the aircraft for me, I'm like, you know what? Let's just wait until we get on scene. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look. I love the idea of like, yeah, let's do a single insertion. Let's do this. But you're right. Maybe we can land right over there. And then it just changes yeah. everything when you get there anyway. So wait yeah. until you get on scene. Um, 
for everybody that's on the ground. All right. Anybody that's listening that doesn't fly, they're on the ground unit. We are going in circles. We're sitting in a hover. We are discussing as an air crew what the best options are. That's why it's taking us so long. All right. Just yeah. so everybody yeah. knows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So nice. Well, I'll tell you what, Kev, uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to you. If there's anything else that you have that you would like to share to everybody else, words of wisdom, it's open to you, my friend. Um, the big things are, you know, don't, I always preach, don't change. And they, like I said, this is a, these are lessons that I've learned in a long aviation career. So uh, I always say, hey, you don't have to, not saying crash helicopters or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, but um <laughs> but learn from other people's lessons. Cause I've definitely had close calls with, with running out of power. Um, I've definitely had close calls with debris, you know, there's a lot of lessons. So uh, the one thing is don't change your routine for the call. Just do your normal routine. Everything will work out. Don't make their emergency, your emergency constantly reevaluate. Um, and, and that goes for the ground personnel too. Oh, now, here's one thing for anybody that's listening to this podcast. I can't stress this enough after having done and been in the rescue business for decades. Preach to you and any of your family members and anybody else carry a three by three hunter orange flag panel, because if you are out in the wilderness, everybody loves to wear browns and greens and grays and whites in the snow and i tell them in all of my years rescuing i can always see all the rescuers because they wear bright orange rescue shirts and every single person that i've come in contact i go if you're an outdoor person have a three by three bright orange panel um and that way it will always work regardless if there's sun. Now, granted, you're going to need light, but it, you don't need a mirror. I can, it stands out more than any other color. And it, even I say it stands out even more than the bright uh, search rescue yellow color, you know, the, the bumblebee yeah. yellow color. Yeah. I think bright orange is by far. And there was a time when I had more energy. I was trying to get it past where if you're an outdoors person, you at least had to have that as part of a regulation in California, because there's so many people that we've rescued that were dressed almost in camouflage, it seemed like, <laughs> and they're just sitting there by their tree thinking, oh, the helicopter is above me. It can see me. And I'm like, no, you look like a plant. I can't <laughs> see you. So I, I wish people uh. would just throw that either a, a, even a hunter vest, just put something bright orange in your pack and carry it with you at all times because it will be the one thing that we will always see from the air. Man, great um, advice. But, I like that. Uh, the, from, but from the you know the helicopter side, if you have an organization that doesn't have IFR uh, instrument rating, um, even if our program, we're not, we, you know, we have an amazing helicopter, it has an autopilot, has an absolutely beautiful IFR capability. It's just not certified. So the the instrument rating just enhances your ability as a pilot to do the job more effectively in case you, because as you know, in the rescue world, people don't always get injured or need rescuing in beautiful weather. 
no. we constant. We, that's the one variable in the Sierras that changes literally by the second. So we are constantly evaluating weather. And as we're going into the winter months here, it's, it's back to that whole, you know, we, we launch and we're constantly uh, reevaluating and I've been trapped in valleys. And at the end of the day, you know, it's like, Hey, if we've, we've had to land in a field um, and just wait out the weather or get rescued ourselves. There was a crew probably 10 years ago up doing a rescue and they got weathered out and there was a forest silver uh, uh, service helipad that they landed at and they just locked up the aircraft and ground personnel came because it was a pretty bad storm came in and pulled the crew out under with uh, snowmobiles and a couple of days later another crew went up there and recovered the helicopter but you know, it's, it's land and live versus push yeah. weather and go invert an IMC. Yeah. But if you're flying under marginal weather, now speaking from experience in California, because it burns down every year, we're <laughs> flying, we're flying in the bad smoke every year. It's like yeah. smoke, smoke. It's so in, in haze is just as bad as clouds. So if you don't have an instrument rating, I say it's, it's worth, uh, it's worth its weight in gold. Man, I like that. Yeah. Kevin, this has been awesome. I appreciate all the stories, the advice, the knowledge passing. It's been amazing. And uh, yeah, you know what? You, you said it, but I, I'm going to kind of adjust it a little bit and say, you know, before you make that call, do your job. Thank you, Coach Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, Kevin. This has been awesome. Thank you guys. What you guys do out there is absolutely incredible. For those that have never seen it, just go YouTube CHP rescues and, and you'll see some crazy cool videos. So yeah, dude, it's awesome. Well, thanks Kevin. Cool. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate I am, it. I'd like to keep in touch with you and, and yeah, let me know whenever you get another rescue. Come on. I'll absolutely. Sweet. Are, are you coming ever back stateside? Uh, yeah, actually I, I come back all the time. What are you talking about? Yeah. All the time. If you, if you, if, if you make it up this way, uh, come do a ride along. Oh, don't tease me with a good time now. Come on. Uh, you know what? My daughter lives down in Sacramento. I'll come down and, uh, I'll visit her and conveniently drive out to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. All right, Kevin. Well, Hey, you fly safe tonight. I know you're on call. So if the alarm goes off, it, they're calling you. I love it. Right, right on. on. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at therealrescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that star alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you.
Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>